Part ten of Sonnets on Anglo Saxon History by Anne Hawkshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sonnet seventy nine to eighty nine. Seventy nine. That Godwin was the son of a herdsman is a fact recorded in the manuscript chronicle of Radolphus Niger. This author says explicitly what no other has mentioned. Earl Godwin was the son of a herdsman. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons. Godwin was handsome and eloquent. He married Guda, the sister of Ulfr, the Danish Jarl, whose life he saved, and they were the parents of Harold, the last Saxon king. Godwin, one, childhood. A boy through that old forest wends his way, driving his cattle to the upland side, where through the livelong day he will abide, nor chide the sun for its too long delay. Though brother he hath none, nor social play, but woods and streamlets and the grassy hills, o'er which the fresh breeze wanders as it wills, and clouds are chased by every sunny ray, have been to him as friends from infant years. And with his thoughts and them he lives alone, nursing in solitude his hopes and fears, king of a little world, and that his own. The night shades gather, and then sun to sire, sings the wild saga by the cottage fire. 80. After the battle of Shearston, a Danish chief, having lost his way in a wood, met a youth driving his cattle to pasture, and asked to be directed to the camp of Canute, offering the boy his ring if he would show him the way. I will not accept your ring, but I will try to lead you to your friends, was Godwin's answer, and taking Ulfre to his father's cottage, he gave him refreshment. Godwin, too, the meeting with Ulfre. The forest echoes to another tread than the lone herd boys, and with headlong speed through bush and fern brake, as in utmost need, a warrior presses, turning oft his head listening but pausing not the sunbeams shed their golden arrows on his mossy path but the wild tempest in its fiercest wrath had waked within his heart far less of dread he is perceived there stands the peasant youth but the frank bearing of his noble face forbids distrust so truth gives birth to truth ulfre to godwin tells his name and race give me protection Lead me to my king, and thy reward shall be this priceless ring. 81. As soon as it was dark, the horses were provided, and the fugitive and his guide proceeded to the Danish camp, which they reached in safety the next day. The grateful Jarl treated Godwin as his own child, and, after some time, Canute, to gratify Ulfra, raised the young herdsman to the rank of Jarl. Godwin, three, the flight. I need not that, take back thy glittering bribe. I sell not favours to a man in need, nor is gold payment for a worthy deed, replied the youth, and put the gem aside. Yet in my father's cottage thou canst bide, till the night shadows darken o'er the sky. Day is no time for fugitives to fly, and if need be, I will be Ulfra's guide. Oh, mid the gloom and darkness of the past, 
this story gathers light around it one perchance of many like it that would cast hope on the future light on ages gone making us turn with loving eyes and trust to him who hath to all mankind been just eighty two the favour showed by edward the confessor to the norman nobles amongst whom he had passed his youth was particularly distasteful to godwin it was owing to his having armed to punish eustace count of bologna and his followers for having killed some of the citizens of dover which was in godwin's earldom that he and his family were banished the king having taken the part of his norman favourites godwin four the earl that careworn man amid his stately sons who guides the sceptre for the feeble hand that holds it hero of his saxon land whose frowning look the norman courtier shuns whose eloquence the hostile witness stuns is the earl godwin time hath changed that face but the soul's current there hath left a trace more marked though silent and unknown it runs the thoughts of lofty and far-seeing souls to others ears they seldom can reveal or the strong will the social love controls thus smaller minds guess little what they feel till in the outer life the thought appears deed of a day but product of long years eighty three a d ten fifty three in this year was the king at winchester at easter and godwin the earl with him and harold the earl his son and tosti then on the second day of easter sat he with the king at the feast then suddenly sank he down by the footstool deprived of speech and of all his power and he was carried into the king's chamber and they thought it would pass over but it did not so but he continued on thus speechless and powerless until the thursday and then resigned his life and he lies there within the old minster anglo-saxon chronicle some say godwin was denying his share in the murder of alfred the king's brother when he was seized with his fatal illness godwin five the death feast when on the fields of fight he braved his foes he knew death tracked him and across his bark its shadow crept when through the billows dark of a wild sea he fled and mid repose when the night glooms around all nature close and immaterial things assert their sway to his unlistening ear its voice found way hollow as from earth's sepulchres it rose but no shades darken o'er that festive hall no voice sounds ominous amid the throng and proudly through that crowd erect and tall to meet his king earl godwin moves along but there unseen beside him glides that form whose shadow he had felt in fight and storm eighty four when godwin and his family were restored to their country after defeating the machinations of the norman favourites of the king swain his eldest son was not allowed to share in the privileges granted to the rest of his relations he was outlawed for a murder committed six years before stung with remorse for his crime he set off to walk with naked feet from flanders where he then was 
to Jerusalem. He died on his way back at Constantinople. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Swain the Outlawed Within the garden where the Saviour prayed sits a lone man. Upon his shaded face a sadder lines than time alone can trace. From the fierce setting sun an olive shade screened his o'erwearied frame. The cool breeze played through the old branches on his heated brow, but naught of what is round him wrecks he now. Before the past, the now, the future, fade. Barefooted he has reached that sainted earth that was to give him peace. The goal is won, but memories of the spot that gave him birth, thoughts, dreams, regrets, he would for ever shun, press on him in that moment, when he deemed the present had the darkened past redeemed. 85. A.D. 1052. Then soon came William the Earl from beyond the sea, with a great band of Frenchmen, and the king received him, and as many of his companions as it pleased him. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. This visit of William of Normandy took place during the exile of Godwin and his family. The short-sighted king showed him his cities and castles, and loaded him with presents. The Visit He came an honoured and a peaceful guest. No omens marked his way, no bloody sun glared on the earth, no stars did backward run, but bright in gold and crimson glowed the west, and men awoke and toiled and went to rest the same as ever, and gay pomp and glee unwanted broke the dumb monotony that o'er the monkish king and convent palace pressed with courtly words he soothes the monarch's ear with sacred trifles wins his feeble heart of guest and kinsman who can feel a fear or lack frank bearing or free speech they part the one beside his crucifix forgets all that hath passed his sword the other whets 86. Editha, the Rose of England, the daughter of Godwin and wife of Edward the Confessor, is described by Ingulf, who knew her, as very beautiful, meek and modest, faithful, virtuous, and the enemy of no one. She was also a learned woman. During the exile of her family and friends, she was confined by Edward in the convent of Wherewell, but was restored to her regal honours upon their return. Editha in the monastery at Wherewell. The morning sun crept through the quiet room, and fell upon the web her fingers wrought with womanish skill, a task that left each thought unfettered, and yet stole away its gloom. I scarcely could regret my altered doom, she said, but that injustice hath its smart, and fears for those I love oppress my heart. O'er Godwin's house the shades of evening loom, Else were the joyless palace for the cell an outward change alone, and I more free within this convent shade than when I dwell in regal halls, unloving king with thee. Here of my heart and mind and time am I still queen, and Edith loves her destiny. 87. Edward, the son of Edmund Ironside, had been brought up in Hungary, Canute having attempted his life. He had married Agatha, the daughter of Henry, the German emperor, 
Edward the Confessor sent for him to make him his successor, but he died the year following his arrival, much to the grief of the nation. A.D. 1057. Alas, that was a rueful case, and harmful for all this nation, that he so soon his life did end. After that, he to Angleland came for the mishap of this wretched nation. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Death Shadowings Edward the Etheling Exile, thou treadst thy native shores again, but the death shadows on thy regal brow are resting, dark and ominous e'en now. But with thy life far more than it will wane. Thy ebbing pulse shall through a nation's vein send back the life-blood. In thy grave will lie the shades of what had been a dynasty. A people to its heart will feel thy pain. T'was even so, and yet they knew him not. But he was symbol of a higher thing, and in the weakness of our mortal lot, amid the darkness, earthly shadows fling. Better the emblem see, than but a place that our own image fills, or formless space. 88. In 1057, England lost Leofric, by whose wisdom the reign of Edward was preserved from many perils and disorders. Leofric was the father of Heriwood, whose life seemed devoted to the task of supplying incidents to the genius of romance and heroic song. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons A.D. 1057 In the same year in which Edward Etheling died, died Leofric the Earl. He was very wise for God and also for the world, which was a blessing to all this nation. He lies at Coventry. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Death Shadowings 2. Leofric A wish, an unsubstantial hope, a beam, perchance, but like a spring day morning's, fled when o'er the Etheling's brow the death gloom spread. Twas but the fading of a glittering dream, the passing of fair things that did but seem, and yet were not. But now the shadows creep o'er a great life, a truth that time will keep, a fact with whose results the ages teem. He died. Men did not marvel, for the thing was common as the setting of a sun, but when the midnight spectral voices ring, and the cold mists roll heavily and dun across their path, tis common things they feel, that make of every day the woe or weal. 89. Leofric appears to have had less ambition than Godwin, and to have been more concerned for the good of the nation than his own advancement. It was his moderation, and that of some others, that prevented a civil war in 1052. Then thought some of them that it would be a great folly that they should join battle, because there was nearly all that was most noble in England, in the two armies, and they thought that they should expose the land to our foes, and cause great destruction among ourselves. Then counselled they that hostages should be given mutually, and they appointed a term at London. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Death Shadowings 3. Leofric Wise, moderate, reverent When he died, a tie that bound discordant souls together broke The haughty listened when the noble spoke 
and the weak looked to him confidingly who counselled peace and when he bent his knee before the shrine of god the poor one saw a fellow-mortal only and the floor of riches and of power he did not see clear shining but not dazzling on he moved to set in peace but his far-seeing eye discerned the storm-clouds o'er the land he loved yet saw beyond them too a brighter sky and hope and courage for the future grew out of the present's gloom the true soul sees the true end of part ten